is Jesus makes those that are unclean clean by taking them up to the city. And then he says, even if the uh, even if you could keep them quiet, the stones would even continue to sing because Christ is the rock that the builders rejected. Hello and welcome to A Real God. We have again with us Pastor Seth Davison. What up? What up, Seth? Yeah. <laughs> Good to see you, man. Happy to have him again. And right now we're going to talk about Holy Week. Now, that means, I think that pretty much means something different to different types of uh, denominations sometimes. Is that right? Well, it depends on what you mean by what is holy and what is not, I guess. Okay. For us, um, I, I thought you were going to say what is holy and what is weak. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Um, holy Week is kind of the period of time that we call Lent. Uh, Lent being uh, from Ash Wednesday. Up until Easter, uh, Lent is when we start. Uh, for those of you that are good Catholics out there, it's when the fish fries start. Uh, Ash Wednesday is the day that we remember uh, that from ashes we came, from dust we came, to dust we shall return when God created. But then also there is, as uh, Ecclesiastes says, there is a time for life and a time to die. So Ash Wednesday, that's when they start putting a little, like, is it an ashy cross on their forehead? Yes, oh, Absolutely. Okay. Uh, we go in, and you'll start to hear about the reality of life and death. So often in church, we, we focus on, as John 10.10 10 says, you know, so we can have life and have it to the fullest. And we focus on, obviously, Christ's resurrection and what a new life in Christ looks like. Well, we, we sometimes forget that uh, due to sin in the world, we have to deal with death. And Lent is a time to focus in on uh, what life is going to happen to us if Christ doesn't return in our lifetime here, that we will die from ashes we came, from dust we came, to dust we shall return. And we focus in on Christ's death and his road to the cross. You'll hear a lot of prophets of Isaiah. You'll hear Isaiah 53, and you'll hear Psalm 22, which talks about Jesus' death. And it's a time of mourning. It's a time of preparation, if you will. Uh, You'll see in liturgical churches, they'll be wearing purple vestments, which is a a sign of mourning, a sign of calm, of quiet, sackcloth and ashes is the way the Old Testament talks. And it goes on for six weeks where you focus on different aspects of um, the death of Christ and the Christ that is to come and how he fulfills that on the cross. And then we hit a Holy Week, which is kind of a crazy period that all pastors are prepping for right now, uh, me included, where you kick off with, uh, after your six weeks of Lent, uh, the Sunday, which is called Palm Sunday in the scriptures, it's where Jesus goes riding into Jerusalem in his ministry. He's riding on a donkey colt, uh, which comes from the prophecies of Ze- uh, Zechariah. Mm-hmm. And uh, he comes in riding on a donkey. You'd think the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the ones who everybody proclaims to be God, you would expect him to come rolling in on a, on a beautiful white steed, but instead he comes riding in on this old beat-up donkey, <laughs> riding into the city of Jerusalem. And it's kind of an interesting situation when you talk about it, because he comes riding in with this this crew that's been behind him, that's been following him, these prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors, the unclean Gentiles, and they go hiking up the mountain to Jerusalem, where uh, the holy mountain, so you can see all the Pharisees and Sadducees hanging over the walls of Jerusalem, the holy city. And they say, hey, keep the rabble quiet, keep them out of here. Call him rabble, which is an interesting play on words. Uh, the the city of Jerusalem actually is the holy city. If there was anything built in it that uh, was not perfect, they'd throw it over the wall. Well, it's the same thing they're talking about. Basically, the sinful people, like keep them out of here, keep that rabble quiet. We don't want it around our holiness. 
And yet Jesus makes those that are unclean clean by taking them up to the city. And then he says, even if the uh, even if you could keep them quiet, the stones would even continue to sing because Christ is the rock that the builders rejected. And he brings in the crew on their way up. And he comes riding on a donkey and uh, everybody's singing out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, you know. This beautiful mm-hmm. language of them coming into the city of Jerusalem. It's like a big riot walking in on a big celebration. And that kicks off what we call Holy Week. And that's Palm Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then we go through uh, what happened to Christ on his way to the cross. Um, the big holidays are Monday, Thursday, where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, when Jesus took the disciples uh, up into the upper room and they celebrated the Passover feast. This is where you get in the three Gospels and in Corinthians uh, where Jesus says, you know, this is my body given for you. This is my blood given for you. Uh, do this in remembrance of me. And he washes the disciples' feet of all the grossest things in the world you could ever ex- imagine. Yeah, Washing somebody's feet. <laughs> you know, how gross is that? But he's, he's basically embodying the Christian life of humbling yourself, you know, exalting those who need to be humble or those who are humble and then humbling those who have exalted themselves. Now, a lot of things that people know about Lent who who don't, don't really follow the traditions is they know, I guess, the right. time of sacrifice. Yes. So, and and I think a lot of people don't know that that's kind of where uh, Mardi Gras comes from. Is because that's a day of gluttony before Lent starts. Uh, yes, Fat Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, this is an interesting tradition, especially in my own congregation. We have an interesting practice on this. Uh, Mardi Gras. Right, the big party uh, mm-hmm. because it started down in the French area of uh, New Orleans, where a lot of this kicks off, and it's the big celebration before Lent, before you have to give up things and focus in on God or Jesus's death. And so they have this big day where you get all your sin out, and you see Mardi Gras and the big party and the parades. And unfortunately, in our culture, it's become more of a drunken holiday than a uh, feast day, as yeah. such. Um, but they, what they do is they pass around king cakes, and I don't know. I'm, did some ministry down uh, close to New Orleans, and I've got some Cajuns in the family. And they had these big king cakes, and they're, they're purple and gold and white. Purple is Lent. Mm-hmm. Um, the white represents Christ, and the gold is his kingdom as such. And they put a little itty-bitty baby in the cake. And uh, as you pass around the cake, whoever eats the piece of cake with a little baby in it, which represents Jesus, uh, you have to buy the cake for the next year. An interesting practice in my own congregation, there's a gal in my church um, she's an older gal, and her and I have this ongoing fight with the whole congregation over where we're going to hide the baby. Yeah. Uh, this last year, she went to a hospital visit in uh, Dallas, came back with some, uh, shot my wife in on the deal, got some uh, wonderful cheesecake, and hid it, a bunch of them in the frosting. So I came <laughs> home eating some cheesecake, and I started chewing on this baby, so she got me really good. So uh, when she was at quilting up here at church, I snuck over to her house and stuck this stuffed baby in a McDonald's box and hung it from her door. Uh, so we've got this ongoing joke in our congregation over who's going to get the baby Jesus. Darcy and I, my wife yeah. Darcy and I, we went to uh, a Mardi Gras celebration. She wasn't really familiar with the king cake, and is not really a fan. I think it's good, but she wasn't really digging it. But I, I explained to her about the, because they have more than just a little baby Jesus in some of the king cakes. They have little trinkets. But right. I, I was explaining to her the baby Jesus, and I just had, of course, there... They served you pieces. You didn't actually get the cake. So right. I, I just happened to get a piece with the little baby Jesus in it. And that little naked baby that's in that cake. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. 
But yeah, that's usually what they do beforehand because uh, once Lent starts, um, it's definitely a time of uh, repentance. It's a time where you give things up uh, in order to focus in on God. I always tell folks it's not a time to give things up, but it's a time to fill things up, meaning you're going to give things away that are keeping you away from God, a particular sin of choice, and then you're going to fill that time uh, with something that is godly, usually prayers, scriptures, etc. A lot of folks, it's been watered down to just, you know, let's not eat chocolate, which, okay, if that's your particular gluttonous sin of choice, I guess, and keeping right. you from, but I think it's more serious than that. Do a lot of folks actually do a fast for this period of time? or In our tradition, yeah. Uh, my own parish does. Uh, they really, we're, we're really pushing the idea of filling your time with a godly thing instead of an ungodly thing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always tell folks, take, you know, five or ten minutes out of your day that you normally wouldn't. And whatever that thing is that's, you know, the thing that, you, that you've made your God, that thing that you obsess on, take that out of the way and put God in there and see what happens uh, for that six-week period. And you find that a lot of folks, once we hit Easter, they go, okay, fine, I can go back to my sin, but they really don't want to. Right. Because they found that that time becomes special and holy and a time to really meditate on what it is that Christ actually came into my life. I had some friends that uh, gave up beer for Lent and <laughs> they were excited about Lent being over. And I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder, I think I think the point's being missed a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of missed. I had a, a friend that, uh, oh, she, she was uh, giving up meat on Fridays, which is a the thing that you see a lot and uh she ended up eating a steak on friday not even thinking it was friday and she goes oh well i can just i'll just uh not eat meat now on saturdays i guess uh, <laughs> i think you're kind of a point yeah um so that so then like uh, people don't actually like do a food or drink fast considering in the last six weeks that would be a little harsh well a lot of them will change up their diet you know if there are things that are well i, I know a lot of folks i've seen folks do like i'm getting rid of fast food mm-hmm. or they'll some of the Old Testament fasts, you know, where they'll just kind of clean up their diet, stick with um, vegetables and, and water, cut out sodas. Uh, a lot of folks will continue to do healthier practices. Like, uh, I hate it because sometimes because it seems like you're doing a bad New Year's Eve uh, attempt, you know, right. a New Year's um, That's why I always say fill your time with something else. It becomes much more helpful to you in the long run. Yeah. Okay, so that, that lasts... So- just to make sure I get the uh, the timeline straight here, so at, mm-hmm. so Lent is the beginning of the this whole adventure uh, to to uh, Easter. Then, right, it's the six weeks leading up to what we call Holy Week, right. um, and yeah. as we move toward Holy Week, then we prepare, and then there's what we call feast days or high holidays, which are Palm Sunday, Monday Thursday. Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. So after Easter, is 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 it just is it done? Are you, is everyone spent, or is there anything that happens <laughs> afterwards? <or? laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, we're Brian and I were joking about this before the podcast about how Holy Week is is incredibly tiring on church staffs because it's just a lot of worship services and a lot going on. All great, all wonderful, teachable moments of the walk in faith, but it is it is it is a tiring time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at 50 days, well, actually 40 days, we do, we celebrate the ascension of Christ where he ascends to the heaven, to the right hand of the father. Cause for that oh, okay. first 40 days there where he's appearing after his resurrection to various disciples and to continue to teach them. And then he ascends to heaven, to the right hand of the father. 
and uh, come to judge the living and the dead is the way the creeds talk about it. And then at 50 days is Pentecost, which means the Holy Spirit came down among the people, and the it's basically the birth of the early church. Right. So you're basically kind of following uh, the book of Acts there in that kind yes. of sense. Yes, the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts is actually written by Luke, mm-hmm. and so I always tell folks, you know, Acts is just chapter 2 of uh, Luke. Right. So it gives you a nice timeline. If you read Luke and Acts together, you go, oh, this is just the history of it. It's not just separate books. And the reason it's called Acts is because it's the Acts of the Apostles. It's what the early church actually did after Jesus' death, resurrection, and then um, ascension, and the giving of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny. I actually started uh, reading Acts this week. <laughs> right. What's great about Acts, I'm doing the Bible study on it right now. Normally when I go through a, a Bible study, it'll take me a couple of years because I go verse by verse through it in our studies, and we go about an hour and a half a week. And um, the book of Acts, the question always comes up, is it prescriptive or descriptive? And that's where you get a lot of different uh, church bodies. Right. You know, is this something that happened back then to show that the Holy Spirit was among the people to prove that it, it actually happened? Or is this just, is this something we still do today? And there's some different, a lot of ink spilled on going through uh, the ancient commentary series on Acts with uh, the congregation and reading a lot of the early church fathers from um, 100 A.D. to about 500 A.D. and putting the Bible study together to say, hey, this is what the early church thought of it, and here's how it exploded amidst all the persecution. Um, it also gives you a nice timeline so you can, all the 13 epistles or the letters of Paul, mm-hmm. all the weird city names in the New Testament, It gives you a nice timeline to go, oh, okay, that's when Paul went to Ephesus and wrote to the Ephesians. Or he went to this city called Thessalonica and wrote the book Thessalonians. Or Corinth, a wonderful church. And uh, I always joke about Corinthians because uh, it was probably the worst of the epistles and the worst of the cities he went to. A bunch of heathens, (laughs) kind of like all of us. We went to a Bible study this Wednesday, and uh, the preacher was talking about Corinthians. Yeah. And it was really interesting because he was start, basically starting at the beginning of Corinthians. It was like, uh, I think, verse uh, 7 through 10. Right. And he was talking about, of course, in that in the Corinthians, in that section, is when Paul is talking about the, the problem with Corinthians right now. And the problem is that you're having is that you're, you're saying that, you know, I am a, I am of, of Paul, and I am of this teacher and that teacher, and right. it's only supposed to be of Jesus. So right. that's, what, that's what that whole letter is, is talking about. And he was preaching on um, just basically uh, kind of like a, a, a loving each other, kind of, uh, you know, being there for each other, Christianity. And right. I I could see where he was coming from. I mean, it, it was in a context, but it kind of was out of context a little bit, I guess I could say. Yeah. Yeah, when you look at Corinthians, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. I know the text you're talking about. You follow Apollos, and you follow Peter, and you follow Paul, and we should all follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea is it's not a matter of which pastor you like, which is a hard pill to swallow for some Christians. It's about, is Christ being preached? Right. And Lord knows we've all sat through bad sermons. I know as a parishioner, as an elder, I fell asleep many a times through some sermons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that doesn't say that the person who is the pastor is not one who is leading you to Jesus. Maybe you're just not the one listening. Um, 
And so that text really focuses on, and there's also a sense of which teaching that they're offering. You know, for example, Peter speaks more to Jews because he comes from that audience, whereas Paul, he really goes after the Gentiles and a different understanding of what does it mean to be a Christian? You don't have to be a Jew before you're a Christian. These Gentiles are coming in that are not part of the circumcised holy crowd. How does that look? Do I, If I'm a non-believer, do I have to become Jewish and go through Jewish uh, teachings where I have to memorize the first five books of the Bible and 150 Psalms? Right. Or can I just become a Christian and then learn that stuff secondhand? And these are some of the fights they have. Um, for example, in Acts 15, when they're fighting over all this stuff, there's like the council there that's always a hoot to read. You know, as Peter and Paul are having it out, Peter is sitting with a bunch of filthy, nasty Gentiles, you know, eating his blood sausage, which is just a horrible practice. Mm-hmm. And then the Jews come in and he kind of, you can see him hiding that sausage behind his back and going over and sitting with the Jews. You know, I'm, I'm clean. And then Paul <laughs> walks in and goes, what's your deal, man? We're all the same in Christ. Yeah. So there's stuff going on in that book. Now, you were talking about Acts as being prescriptive or descriptive and how that right. kind of divides some churches. Now, sure. just to get your where you're coming from on that, and, and just to kind of test the waters to see if I'm right in my ideas, or if it's sure. even a right and wrong kind of thought, but I see, I would say Acts is a descriptive, uh, okay, a, a descriptive book. Mm-hmm. Would would that be uh, missing the mark, or is that close? Or well, I'd say you got to put it in context of the whole scriptures. Mm-hmm. Is this an act that is showing us uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit has been given to God's people? Is this illuminating Christ? So I would say it's a both and. It's telling us what the church did and what the Holy Spirit is able to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, we have to put God in his proper context. God can do whatever he wants. Right. Uh, should we do some of these practices? Absolutely. I mean, Acts talks about gathering together and the breaking of bread and prayers. Uh, for fellowship, you know, should we go and have a potluck together and have dinner? Yes. Should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? And that's talking about worship? Yes. Um, can people be healed? Absolutely. Uh, can God also decide not to heal? Absolutely. He has the ability to do whatever he wants. He's God. Do we still have those councils like I talked about where we're um, actively discussing? I'll put that there instead of fighting, but <laughs> actively discussing what should we ought be doing as the church corporate, you know, no matter what our denominations are. I'm a big fan of sitting down with pastors of other denominations and having good theological discussions and talking about this stuff. A lot of churches don't do that. They're too busy saying they're right or wrong to actually talk about it. Yeah. And I I have something that I say a lot is that we're all going to die and we're all going to figure out how wrong we actually were. (laughs) I always say, I can't can't wait till the Lord returns and I'm raised to glory and and uh, God says, man, you got it right. You're a good Lutheran. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, there's all kinds of jokes, and you can ask any pastor. They have their own jokes about that. But, yeah, we all need to sit down and, and figure out what's on the reservation and what's off the reservation of Christianity. Yeah. We all have different tribes. You know, there are obviously some things that are just non-negotiable, that you're off the tribe. Right. Um, and there's also some things that need to be continually taught, like Second Timothy 4 says, you know, be prepared in season and out, because there will come itching ears that hear what they want to hear instead of that whole book that I was talking about. Now, uh, since we're in Acts, we'll kind of get off subject a little bit. I just kind of get your opinion sure. on this. Um, speaking in tongues. Ah. Now, in Acts, when they spoke in tongues, they actually spoke 
in other languages for yes. other people around to hear. They didn't right. speak angelic gibberish. Right. Um, they didn't walk around going ooga booga. <laughs> right, right. And they, they uh, didn't have to have an interpreter because they were talking to uh, right. a specific type of person who understood what they were saying. Well, uh, here's, here's the interpretation. Um, I'll, give you, I'll throw mine on the table, and I know there's going to be a handful of folks that disagree, but that's fine. Um, remember at Babel, let's go all the way back to Genesis, right? The people were not listening to God's command. They had built a city instead of gathering out and filling, populating the world. So God sent them out and confused their languages. What we see in Acts is the people coming together under the umbrella of Christ. Now, they're all speaking different languages. They're all from different places. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they're speaking with tongues of fire, which should give us language that looks like and explains that the Holy Spirit is up to something. Whenever you see fire in the New Testament, that's very much presence of God. Even in the Old Testament, God shows them pillars of fire. So they're speaking, and the people in the room, are, they're going, wow, I know this language. And when we talk about speaking in tongues, you have to read Paul further on in the book to understand this. Speaking in tongues is very simple. If you can say, Jesus is Lord, you're speaking in tongues, because nobody can do that except by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so these different people in Acts, it's a reversal of Babel, where the languages were confused. And so now he's speaking in a language they understand to proclaim Jesus is Lord. I'll give you an example of this. I got a buddy in Kazakhstan who's a pastor, mm-hmm. and he was telling me about how he had some folks that came into his church. Now, remember, they walked for a whole day come to church, and then they'll walk all the way home. So whenever somebody complains about an hour's sermon, I always tell them the story. (laughs) Uh, So three days out of their week is worship. Um, But he'll say, you know, he'll have folks where he'll be preaching, and somebody doesn't even know Kazakh, which is a form of Russian that they speak, and they'll understand that he's preaching the gospel. Now, he's not rolling on the floor and making goofy sounds. He is preaching this language. Uh, The other way that the scriptures speak about speaking in tongues is... uh, you have to have an interpreter there. So, example, if I'm speaking to a group in China, for example, I don't know anything about Chinese. I don't, you know, it's just not my language. And I have somebody to interpret that, right. and I'm preaching Jesus is Lord. Guess what that person is doing for me? They're speaking in a tongue as such, because mm-hmm. that message is being proclaimed. Paul also says this about speaking in tongues. Um, I'd rather speak one language that you understand than a thousand in tongues. And a lot of times when folks get into that passage about speaking in tongues, they forget to read the next paragraph that explains it. Now, as far as people, you know, rolling in the floors and speaking and, and doing, you know, the stuff that you see in a lot of Pentecostal churches, right. uh, if that's the way they want to celebrate God and how God is moving in their life, that's just as holy as a good, you know, Catholic or Lutheran staring at the floor to pray. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It's just how they're expressing it. Some churches are hand-raising churches. Some get going in the rock and roll. Some are very reverent and quiet. All are great. And so um, I once had a gal that was uh, ex-Pentecostal in one of my parishes, and she would get going when they would sing Lift High the Cross on that old organ, and she would just <laughs> get wailing and going. And everybody just knew it. Like, that was that's just who she was and how she celebrated the Lord. Right. And when uh, her five-year-old would get out there dancing in the aisle, and you wouldn't expect this in a traditional church where folks are wearing robes and stuff, but they understood that that's how this little kid worshipped. And uh, then one week she wasn't there, she was sick, and everybody was saying, this wasn't church because the little Holy Spirit wasn't here because she wasn't there dancing in the aisle. <laughs> so all is fine, uh, but as far as saying, you know, unless you speak in tongues, right, unless you make the sounds and roll on the floor and stuff, you don't have the Holy Spirit, well, that's a problem. Yeah. Because that's not what Paul says. Paul says no one can say that... that uh, 
Jesus is Lord without the power of the Holy Spirit. So I always joke in my congregation, and all right, I need a quick test, everybody. Repeat after me, Jesus is Lord, and they all do it, and I go, great, the Holy Spirit's still here. Now, let's get to the sermon. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's that going on. So I hope that helps clarify a little bit. And again, some folks will disagree, but I always say when you want to get into speaking of tongues, just keep reading. Folks always take a passage or another passage out of context. And remember that in Acts, the idea is the gospel is going from Jerusalem, right, where Jesus was crucified, and it's going out to the nations, which people speak different languages. Right. So it has to go in different tongues as such. There is so much in the Christian religion alone that it could take a lifetime for a person to learn or even understand. So here at A Real God, we hope to be a good source and another tool that you can use to help and strengthen your faith and your walk with Jesus. Please be sure to subscribe and follow us. Uh, we also have our Facebook page and Twitter at A Real God, the number four, the letter U. Uh, and please refer us. We look forward to growing this ministry and reaching out to others. And be sure to tune in next week when Seth and I talk about Jesus. Who is Jesus? And how do we know that he is the Son of God? And moreover, what is this Trinity that we always hear about? Thank you for listening. And remember, keep your mind sharp and your eyes focused on Jesus.